Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. Hi, it's Richard here, your faithful announcer. We are so glad you are listening. Casting our podcast on the waters of providence, trusting we encourage growing, biblical, dynamic, soul-satisfying prayer lives which glorify God. From the pen of Martin Lloyd-Jones, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. John Owen adds, I pray God with all my heart that I may be weary of everything else but converse and communion with him. J.C. Riley adds his insight. Never, never may we forget that if we would do good to the world, our first duty is to pray. And now to our fine host, Fred. Welcome to the Free Range Preacher on Prayer Podcast. My name is Fred. And I just wanted to say hello. If this is your first listen, hello. And if this is not your first listen, if you're coming back, hello again. Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for a chance to learn and to draw near to you. We commit this time to you in your holy name. Amen. That is the purpose of our podcast is for people, God's people, to draw near to him. It's something many years ago I I learned was an issue, even for some very competent and surprising Christian servants over the years. They've had a hard time with prayer. So that is our purpose. And in any circumstance, I love to try to encourage God's people to fellowship with Him, with the Holy God of the universe. We would say it and have been saying it for the last four years, five years now. Our goal is a growing, biblical, dynamic, sincere prayer life. A prayer life like that glorifies God and satisfies our own souls. So again, welcome. And really quickly, I wanted just one detail from the last episode, Prayer 101. That was our signature episode. In fact, that is the title, Prayer 101, our signature episode, What is Prayer? Now, I mentioned in that episode, when I was describing my plea for what was to me then the mysterious fate of my grandson, Seven, that after two hours of prayer and weeping, God told me that it was going to be okay, that he was going to be all right. And I want to refine that just a little bit. I didn't mean I I heard an audible voice from God or a sign or or anything like that. What I was describing after after pleading for so long was that peace, I believe, that the Bible talks about that passes all understanding. That peace swept over my soul. And my initial thought, as you heard, was, no, I need to keep praying. But then I thought, no, I have this peace. I believe it's from God. I had no evidence. I had not heard yet the disposition of seven and his fainting spell. But I just knew that peace that washed over me meant that he was okay. And again, I do believe that peace was from God. And then that peace began to allow me to to be thankful, and then go on to my Bible reading at the time. And today we are doing our extended rile. You you might have thought we forgot, because it's been a while. And by the way, I've been sick as well, so that's why this is a little delayed in getting here. I've been a little sick. Nevertheless, 
We haven't forgotten about J.C. Ryle, but we are going to start today with a quote from Samuel Rutherford. He was writing to a beloved friend, and he wrote, Wrestle, fight, go forward, watch, fear, believe, pray, and then ye have all the infallible symptoms of one of the elect of Christ within you. Wrestle, fight, go forward, watch, fear, believe, and pray. And clearly, Rutherford believed all those things were symptoms, in his words, of our being elect. That was his vernacular. We might say these days in Christ. And we have seen in the past that men like J.C. Ryle and Samuel Rutherford, in fact, all of them, that have the same theological bent as those two men, they focused heavily on the symptoms of true faith, or the evidence of true faith, again, we might say. And you might ask why, at least in my culture, we don't have that kind of focus or as much of it these days as we used to. So you might ask why. And the answer is simple, because the Bible has that emphasis. The witness of John the Baptist, the witness of Jesus, and his apostles all emphasize the proofs of our salvation, our faith, or our election, however you would like to describe it. There is a change in our hearts. We've talked about our new inner man. And those changes lead to changes in behavior. They have to. If you're born again, you are growing in faith and you are changing in your appetites, your affections, and your deeds. In fact, when we first get our introduction to John the Baptist in Matthew, he's telling the Pharisees and the Sadducees that they are a brood of vipers. They're just coming around out of curiosity or to see what's going on. And then he says in verse 8 of Matthew 3, Therefore bring forth fruit, keeping with repentance. Again, if you're really changed, there'll be fruit. And then Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, tells us in Matthew 7:16, You will know them by their fruits. And he's talking about the saved people, the people who have become Christians, the people who are going to make up his kingdom. And then he follows that with, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now you're getting a sense of why these men, these godly men of the past, and now, some preachers, not as much as probably should be, of why they emphasized those symptoms, as Rutherford says, of faith. They're important. And the Bible uses many ways to express the same concept. If you're born again, your life is going to be growing and different, never perfect. Sometimes our growth is achingly slow, but you are going to grow and it is going to be different. We can even summarize what the apostles taught in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And just real quickly, we won't read that one today, but real quickly, Paul talks about presenting our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. And then he goes on, we present our bodies as that holy sacrifice. We offer spiritual service to the Lord. We need to be transformed in our thinking and our desires. And only then, the last verse says, we can prove what the will of God is everything that is good, acceptable, and perfect. 
But I love the illustration of fruit, and I love it because it shows the natural relation between faith and salvation, a new heart, and the new works that we have, affections, etc. And the Bible calls that fruit. Now, it's interesting because we have in our yard several trees, but we have one in the front and one in the back, particularly. The one in the back is a cherry tree, and the one in the front is an ornamental pear tree. Now, in the spring, they blossom. They're in the process of doing that right now. And the blossoms produce different stuff. I think that's the technical term for fruit and blossoms and flowers, that sort of thing. It is at least in Fred world. And I'll let you guess which one is which, but the one in the back produces cherries and the one in the fruit flowers and produces blooms, pear blooms. So think just for a minute, which one do you think is in the backyard and which one do you think is in the front yard, right? You know them by what they produce. Now, obviously, the one in the back is the cherry tree, and the one in the front is the pear tree. And an, and an interesting thing happened a couple of years ago. Suddenly, we knew the, the pear tree in the front has two little trunks. And I perceived that one of those trunks was not an ornamental pear tree. It was a real pear tree. And I think they get ornamental trees of any kind by grafting trees together and changing how they produce fruit and flowers. But anyway, one of those trunks produced pears, edible, pretty good tasting, I've been told, pears. Now, you may be thinking, I didn't know you were a plantologist, Fred. That's not really a word. But I knew that the one branch, that the one trunk was a real pear tree, and the other branch, the other trunk, was an ornamental pear tree. And again, not because I'm a plantologist, but because of what the trunks produced. Obviously, the, the full pear tree produced real fruit. And that's the illustration. That's how it works. A Christian is going to produce good fruit. And that's why I love that illustration, is because it's the simplest. And it also puts that in order just really quickly. The fruit doesn't try, the tree doesn't try to produce cherries to prove it's a cherry tree. The same way we don't try to produce works to show we're Christians. It's just part of that nature. It's that natural part of us being Christians. And so when we think about the symptoms of our salvation, those fruits, they're going to be produced just like those cherry blossoms which turn into cherries. And again, the reason that is important, we learn in Matthew 6, 26, for what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And later, or earlier in Matthew at the Sermon on the Mount, again, he says what, you, what fruit you produce proves who you are. And if you don't produce fruit, guess what happens to that tree? It gets thrown away and burned. That's why it's important that we look at those fruits. And as we come to this place in J.C. Ryle, as he's wrapping up, and he has many more pages, believe it or not, but he is in his mind wrapping up, 
That's why his call to prayer, his encouraging us to pray, is of so much importance, because it's going to be an evidence of who we are, either in Christ or not in Christ. Now, we are going to look at these paragraphs. We're going to look at them in the future as well, in the next few days, hopefully prayerfully. I won't get sick again. But in these paragraphs that we are going to read today, and then we'll be done, these paragraphs from J.C. Ryle contain warnings to sinners and prayerless Christians. Because one of the things that we have seen already that Pastor Ryle believed is that real Christians pray. They have to. And we've talked about that before, even in our reading with Ryle, and even in the last four years. And I believe one of the greatest symptoms or fruits or indications, whichever you like the best, of a redeemed person is their desire to talk to God. You've heard that from me a lot. And it's the God who glosses himself, who gives himself the the name of our Father who is in heaven, who saved us for a renewed relationship with him. And the prompting of the Holy Spirit also leads us to desire God in prayer, our new inner man as well. And because eternity is critical, Ryle presents these encouragements to Christians and sinners, and they're kind of mixed in in the next few paragraphs, and then he'll delineate after this. That's what we'll discuss in the next week or so, probably a couple of weeks. And he's going to call sinners to salvation, which is only right, because our first step in salvation is typically to cry out with the publican, be merciful to me, a sinner. And once again, a prayerless Christian is a below average indication of whose we are. That fruit is not there if we're prayerless. And again, we'll revisit those. But right now, I just want to read these paragraphs to you so you can hear their warnings and hear their encouragements. And I want you to listen and then read at least as much as in the, in the description. But listen right now and see if you can hear any of yourself in these descriptions of J.C. Ryle. Because you're either in need of salvation or you're a child of God who needs a little extra encouragement and chiding and warning to begin to pray out to the Holy God of the universe, to talk to him, to commune with him. So let's get to Ryle. And when we get further along, you'll see how much longer he has when he says the following. And now it is high time for me to bring this tract to an end. It's going to be a while. Anyway, let's get back to Ralph. And now it is high time for me to bring this tract to an end. I trust I have brought before you things that will be seriously considered. It's been my prayer as well. Back to Ryle. I heartily pray, God, that this consideration may be blessed to your soul. Let me speak a parting word to those who do not pray. I dare not suppose that all who read these pages are praying people. If you are a prayerless person, suffer me to speak to you this day on God's behalf. Prayerless reader, I can only warn you, but I do warn you most solemnly. I warn you that you are in a position of fearful danger. If you die in your present state, you are a lost soul. You will only rise again to be eternally miserable. I warn you that 
that of all professing Christians, you are the most utterly without excuse. There is not a single good reason that you can show for living without prayer. Now he'll give us a list. It is useless to say, I know not how to pray. Prayer is the simplest act in all religion. It's simply speaking to God. Parentheses, where have you heard that before? <laughs> Back to Ryle. It needs neither learning nor wisdom nor book knowledge to begin it. It needs nothing but heart and will. The weakest infant can cry when he is hungry. The poorest beggar can hold out his hand for alms and does not wait to find fine words. The most ignorant man will find something to say to God if he only has a mind. It is useless to say you have no convenient place in prayer. Any man can find a place private enough if he is disposed. Our Lord prayed on a mountain. Peter prayed on a housetop. Isaac in a field. Nathaniel under a fig tree. Jonah in the whale's belly. Any place may become a closet, an oratory, a Bethel, that means peaceful place, and be to us the presence of God. Thank you, Jesus. Back to Ryle. It is useless to say you have no time. There is plenty of time if a man will employ it. Time may be short, but time is always long enough for prayer. Amen to that. Daniel had the affairs of a kingdom on his hands, yet he prayed three times a day. David was a ruler over a mighty nation, yet he says, Evening and morning and at noon I will pray. That's Psalm fifty-five, seventeen. if you want to know. When time is really wanted, time can always be found. And it, once again, we'll look at this list a little later for some of us. But he goes on. It is useless to say you cannot pray till you have faith and a new heart, and that you must sit still and wait for them. This is to add sin to sin. It is bad enough to be unconverted and going to hell. It is even worse to say, I know it, but I will not cry for mercy. This is a kind of argument for which there is no warrant in Scripture. Isaiah 55, 6, Call ye upon the Lord, saith Isaiah, while he is near. Take with you words and turn unto the Lord, says Hosea. That's Hosea 14, 1. Repent and pray, says Peter to Simon Magnus in Acts 8.22. If you want faith and a new heart, go and cry to the Lord for them. The very attempt to pray has often been the quickening of a dead soul. Thank you, Jesus. You may need to go back and listen to those words again. It will do good for your soul. Thank you, Jesus, for today. In humility and simplicity, I just bow before you and pray once again, you take my two little fish and the great banquet your servant, J.C. Ryle, prepared many years ago for us and to draw those out who need reconciliation or who need to commune with you in their reconciliation. Lord Jesus, we all need to call for forgiveness. If we are thy children, it's even more of a need for us. So we would pray those who need you in salvation now and those who are ignoring thee, that thou, Holy Spirit, would draw them, use your power, the words, the words that are worthy, and draw them to you for the consolation of their longing souls. 
We pray this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because we know it is your will, and by thy power we long to do thy will. Amen. The so what is. We've said it a lot, even even today. Prayer is an evidence of your true relationship with God. You have friends, I'm pretty sure. Would you call them friends if you never talked to them? So if God is calling you to salvation, today is that day. Call out to him, have a mercy on me, a sinner. If you are saved, your so what is this? You might be sad or unsatisfied. You might be wondering, where is that promise of abundant life that you gave us? You said that, Jesus. I'm not experiencing anything close to abundance in my soul or anywhere in my life. If that's where you're at, it's time to call out to him. Be like the psalmist, because it is true of you if you are saved. My soul longs for thee as the deer pants after the water brook. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is our ever-present help in time of trouble. So today, brethren, we are commended to our ever-present help. And as we pray for one another, you might pray also that everyone who hears this or anyone who hears this, saved or not saved, will call out for salvation or call out for that close relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you all for listening.